0: Today's reading is 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion, forever and ever, amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we conclude our study today of First Peter, remember that we entitled this, Strangers Like Me which is completely ripped from Disney's Tarzan. But it carries with it the idea that these believers were exiled across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, in a place that was not their own. So they were strangers, and yet everyone around them was just like them in the fact that we are all created in the image of God. So today, as Peter concludes this letter... He gives some very, very practical advice to all of us about what we should do when we live in a place that is not our own. And he begins by saying, to cast all of your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. Now last week, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, we talked about how Peter said that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble which is a direct reference to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And Peter said, God opposes those who are prideful, but to those who are humble, he will bless. And in this passage today, Peter takes it one step further. Those that are humbled will one day be exalted. Now, what does he mean by being exalted? He means one day when Christ returns, those that are who humble will be exalted and unified with Jesus once and for all, forever. Now, humility is not original to Peter. In fact, if you go all the way back to the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus says something almost exactly like this. When he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, this idea of humility comes from Jesus himself, who faithfully served other people, not coming to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Peter is saying, All right, believers that are struggling with persecution and suffering and existing in a place where you are not comfortable, you should remain humble. And also, When those anxious feelings come up inside of you, cast them upon God because He is the one who cares for you. Now, what would these believers across Asia Minor have been anxious about? Well, remember, they're being persecuted for their faith, which meant they were losing relationships. They were losing social capital. They were losing their jobs. Some might have even been getting death threats for their faith in Christ. Peter says, cast your anxieties upon God. What about you and me? The Anxiety and Depression Association of America, yes it does exist, says that there are currently 40 million people in America dealing with an anxiety disorder, representing 18.1% of the American population. So one-fifth of our population roughly in America is dealing with an anxiety disorder. We are anxious about a lot of different things. Our families, our health, our jobs, the saints, whatever it might be, we are anxious about what the future holds. But Peter tells us here, cast those anxieties to God. Now, Here's the reality, though. Many of you who do struggle with anxiety disorders, like myself personally, just because we cast our anxieties upon God doesn't suddenly mean that those anxious feelings and those nerves are just going to disappear. But we do it because we know that God is faithful to His Word. And when we cast our anxieties upon him, regardless of if the feelings of nervousness and anxiousness go away, we can trust that God is going to do what he says he will do. He is the only one with the capability to bear the burdens that we carry. For these believers in Asia Minor and for us today, whatever it is that causes you anxiety, no that God wants you to cast those things to him. And that's what Peter wanted these believers to know. But he also tells them, in addition to the fact that God cares for you, you should resist the enemy. Now, three times in this book, as we've studied it all summer long, Peter has used the phrase, be sober-minded. He's not talking about abstaining from alcohol as much as he is talking about the fact that our minds need to be clear of distractions, that we do not need to allow external factors to decide how we think about certain issues. You need to be sober minded and you need to be watchful, like a soldier who is constantly on the lookout for enemy fire. And Peter uses the image here of a lion who is out seeking his prey so that he can devour it. Now, the verb that Peter uses here for devour carries with it the idea that an animal, once it gets its prey, swallows it in one gulp. So Satan is not trying to bite you. He's not trying to scratch you. He is trying to devour you. His sole purpose is to take you down, Christian. That's what he wants to do. When a lion is out seeking its prey, there is no time for sleep because at any moment he could pounce. This is what Peter is teaching these believers here. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I don't always give Satan the credit that he deserves. He's kind of sometimes an afterthought for me personally. I know he's there, I know he's trying to tempt me, but I don't really think of him as a lion who is out trying to destroy me. But that is, in fact, what he is trying to do. He is trying to take us all down. Some of us sometimes say things like, this is not an area in my life where I struggle. Or this particular temptation has just never been that strong for me. And those type of statements as somebody who has said them themselves are a sign of somebody who is not being watchful who thinks that there are certain areas of their life that they are in complete control of, and that is exactly what Satan wants you to think, that you have control over this area of your life or that area of your life. Without full dependence on Jesus, we are never in control of any area of our life. Sin is always ready to pounce. And so what Satan does is he uses people and situations and in our day, technology as a way to get us to surrender to temptation. And many times we think that it's those people and those situations and that form of technology that are the problem, but those are strictly instruments that Satan is using to take you down. Paul tells us the enemy is not flesh and blood. So it's not that person. It's not that method of technology. It is Satan using those instruments as a way to distort the truth within you. In reality, what sin is, is thinking that we know better than God. I mean, this is the message that Genesis 3 is teaching us. When Eve is being tempted by the serpent, he tells her, did God really say?" That you cannot partake from this tree. In other words, you know better than God. Why would you listen to him when it comes to this? So if we're to be honest with each other, sin is strictly thinking that we know better for ourselves than God does for us. The creator of the universe who created us in his image, we are doubting that what he says in his word is really What's most important? Peter says, resist the enemy. Firm in your faith. Not even allowing the devil to get a foothold in any area of your life. Trusting that what he says in his word is true and is right and is superior to what anybody else tells you about what it means to live this life. Resist the enemy. This is what Peter wants these believers to take home with them. And then he says, restoration is coming. These believers, as we have learned all summer long, were dealing with intense suffering and persecution, and they were downtrodden, and they were discouraged. And right here, Peter tells them, your suffering has an expiration date. Brothers and sisters, whatever you are experiencing, it also has an expiration date. It will come to an end. You have not been called to suffer eternally. Peter tells us you have been called to eternal glory in Christ. The suffering will go away. And there are four verbs that Peter uses here. All in the future tense to prepare us for what will happen one day when that suffering goes away. And the first one that he says is you will be restored. These believers who had lost social standing, lost relationships, Peter is telling them, when you are in Christ one day with Him forever, everything that has been taken from you will be restored. Whatever has happened to you, brother and sister, on this earth, As you have followed Jesus, when you are united with Jesus, you will be restored. Second, he says, you will be confirmed. Many of these believers, as we have said, lost social standing. They lost the position of power and influence that they had. And Peter is telling them, one day, you will be confirmed alongside of Jesus. You will be set in a fixed location, or a permanent spot, and you will be confirmed alongside of Jesus. Then he says you will be strengthened. The only time we find this particular verb for strengthened in all of the New Testament. We know that suffering beats us down emotionally, physically, mentally, even socially. And Peter is telling these believers, and he's telling us, You will be strengthened. There's a man that I go visit in the nursing home every single week, and I've probably seen him almost every single week for the last six or seven years. And I've seen him go from walking to a walker to a wheelchair. And just within the last few weeks, from constantly sitting in that wheelchair, he's developed bed sores on his backside. And so now he's having to lay down in a bed for four or five hours at a time in order to give those sores, time to heal. Our bodies are weakening by the day. They are decaying. He goes to a wound care center because if he accidentally bumps into a wall or scratches his hand on the door handle, his skin just rips off because over time your skin weakens as you get older. His body is dying. But one day, those artificial hips those artificial knees, those sore joints that ache and pop will be replaced by a glorified body. We will be strengthened when we are reunited with Jesus forever. And then Peter says, you will be established. Whatever you have lost, your standing will be elevated Because Jesus cares for you and loves you. So we build our foundation, not on the sand, as Jesus tells us, but on the rock, knowing that one day we will be established because of our relationship with Jesus. So, brother, sister, whatever it is you are enduring right now, no matter how difficult you might think it is, remember, you will be strengthened, you will be established, you will be confirmed, God is with you every step of the way in your suffering, whatever it is. And then Peter closes this letter by reminding these believers that what he has written to them, this is the true grace for them. Now, it's interesting as we read here, there is some debate about did Peter actually write this letter or did Silvanus write this letter? Did he dictate what Peter was telling him to write or is Silvanus strictly the one who delivered the letter as the messenger to these believers scattered across all over Asia Minor? Did you know that this Silvanus is the same person that we read about in the book of Acts who joins Paul on his second missionary journey? This is Silas, who we know about, who went with Paul, after Barnabas and Paul separated. So Silas, Silvanus, had the opportunity to come alongside two of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. And Peter says, I have written briefly to you these things. Now, it doesn't feel brief to us, because we've been in it for three months now. But when Peter wrote this letter, if you count it up, it's only 105 verses which means that it could have been read in one sitting relatively quickly. Think of the amount of information that we have unpacked over the course of this summer and you begin to realize just how brilliant Peter was to be able to pack this much theology into such a concise letter. He dealt with suffering. He dealt with how to handle yourself in a world where everyone is different than you. How do you engage in a world in which you live when no one believes the same as you? Very, very practical information. And he says, this is the grace to you. Now, what does Peter mean by this? Does he mean the suffering that these believers were experiencing? Does he mean the entire letter that was written? What Peter is saying is, everything that he wrote in this book, chapters 1 through 5, beginning in verse 1, all the way to the end, this is true. This is the word of God written to you. To us today in this room. Do we really believe that what Peter is writing here is truth? He's saying that it is, but let's expand it a little bit. This little book that I have, Bounded in Leather, do we really believe that it contains within it the words of God written for us? Because that's what Peter says it is. That means that whatever we experience, whatever persecution, whatever suffering, this is our guide from cover to cover. It contains the words of God written to us. Barna released a study just a few years ago, and it focused on Bible engagement. Did you know that the average American home has three Bibles in it? Over 90% of Americans own a Bible in their home. And yet the Joshua Project, which is an organization that focuses on taking the gospel to unreached people groups, and what that means is any places where there is no indigenous group of believers in a community, there are still 7,000 people groups around the world who do not have access to this text. That represents 40% of the world's population. And if we were to be honest with each other, Many of the Bibles sitting in our homes or on bookshelves collecting dust. The word of God is the only thing that transforms lives. So if we expect to transform the city, as we talked about this morning in Care Effect, if we expect to transform those in our circles. If you are not in the word of God, do not be surprised when God does not use you to make a difference. The word of God is what moves the needle. Lifeway Research released a study on Bible engagement just two years ago. The number one indicator of spiritual maturity. It was not sharing your faith. It was not praying. It was not going to church. It was not doing social justice. It was not going on a mission trip. It was not having Christian friends. You know what the number one indicator of spiritual maturity was? Reading your Bible. Not studying it for five or six hours a day. Not being a seminary student. Strictly opening up God's Word and reading a chapter or two chapters a day. That's what the study showed. That's what moves the needle. Are all those other things important? Absolutely. We should be doing all of them. But this study that surveyed thousands and thousands of people found that the number one indicator of people that were maturing in their faith was opening up God's Word and studying it. This, Peter says, is the true grace of God To you. This book is what moves us into the city, into our neighbors' homes, into the lives of our coworkers and our family members who don't know Jesus. This is what empowers us to move forward. And Peter closes this letter by making sure that those that he had just written to understand that what he wrote to them is not just some good advice about how to be a better person or moral character. No, this is the word of God for you. If we strictly view this book as a way to make ourselves better human beings, we have missed it. In this book contains the gospel, that changes lives for eternity. So as we wrap up the entire book, beginning on June, whatever it was, all the way to the end of August, I want to leave with you some just practical application. Three takeaways from the entire book that you can continue to meditate on and think about. Number one, leave here knowing that suffering is not without cause. Your suffering exists for your faith to be refined and for you to increase your dependency on Jesus. That is why we experience suffering. Number two, Peter has taught us that we need to live our lives in a way that people are attracted to us because of the way that we live. Salt, light, not darkness. You have the hope of salvation in you. Therefore, there should be people attracted to you because of the hope that you have in Christ. And then number three, engage the world rather than run from it. We cannot run away. We are the ones who carry the message of salvation to everyone in our community. If they're not going to hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? Therefore, it's more important than ever that you don't run away, but that you engage completely in the mission that God has called you to. In your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in any recreation or circle that you run in, view every one of those opportunities as a way to engage people with the gospel. This is the message That Peter leaves us with. Everything contained. In this small. Five chapter letter. Is true. And should mean something. To every one of us in this room. Let's pray together this morning. God we are so thankful. For this letter. And how much it teaches us about suffering and persecution and how to engage people in our community. God, we need its wisdom so much. God, I know there are people here that are hurting, that are suffering. And I pray that they leave today knowing that their suffering is a way for them to increase their dependency on you. God, for those of us who have run away from the world rather than engaged it. Help us to change course. Help us to live our lives in a way that people are attracted to us because of how we live our lives. Humble us, Father. Help us to be intentional in spending time in the word and use us for your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.